she feels like kind of the real life version of Lainey Boggs in in She's All That. <laughs> like she's been here all along, but she just sort of took off her glasses and people are like, oh, now we notice you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I assume that everybody is who listens to podcasts is crazy upping their podcast consumption because you just want to hang out with people who aren't in your house, right? And none of your real life people have anything to say. Like that's what we've established, <laughs> right? Like all of our friends are just like, yeah, uh, I'll let you know when we have news. That's Same. why like group chats die, yeah. all the rest, right? So like podcast consumption is way up, which is great. But I have to say podcast people like, I don't know if this, if everybody knows this or if this is my own superpower, but dear podcast people, I can tell when you're pissed at each other and you have to work that shit out before you get on the air. And this is not, uh, you're looking at me like, am I making a veiled reference to you? And, uh, to be clear, the answer is no, because we always say when we're pissed off at each other, right out loud. So that's useful. (laughs) Um, but do you know what I'm saying? When one person's trying to make a point and the other one just sort of makes kind of a, uh, like a not that great Venn diagram of their point over top of them and they keep trying to explain and they're not, it's not good. Oh, I, I haven't picked up on that, but I have to say my podcast listening hasn't been current. Like when I do listen to podcasts right now, I'm going back to oh, things yeah. I've missed. Or a new podcast so, that you're like, hi, I just found you. Can I listen to everything you've ever made? Great. Yeah. I'm going back to the, well, you know, I used to podcast a lot on the drive. Mm. So I was very limited to like a half hour episode podcast or an hour. And then I would listen one like morning and then on the ride home. But now, yeah, my podcasts, I need them to be f- like the duration of a walk. And that's why I'm going back to the old pot, like the podcasts that are a lot older, that are longer, that I never had time for before. Right. I mean, that also feels like it's time for a retroactive apology about how long our podcasts used to be. <laughs> We're going to make this one an hour or under. I mean, we've been doing much. We've been doing very well. It's because we used to think we had to hit four fucking topics, like we were 2020 or something. Uh I will say that Binge Mode, which is a podcast that I'm like, is always at the top of my list, their episodes are regularly two and a half hours. I mean, that's a commitment. You better have a pile of laundry or like be ready to <laughs> sort through and file your, find your taxes to file. Uh, so there's, there are some podcasts I've been saving for some particularly heinous chores that I have in my life um, that I'm really just saving up so I can bang through them. Uh, I keep wasting the ones I love, though. Maintenance phase. Do you know about this podcast? No. So you know what you're wrong about. 
Yes, which is like yes. they tell you what you're wrong. So one of the hosts, yeah. Michael Hobbs, also has uh, a podcast with um, his co-host, Aubrey. Uh, her last name is escaping me, who wrote uh, Your Fat Friend, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so what they do is they talk through each and every sort of weight loss or wellness scam uh, or thing. So they talk about Snackwell's cookies or celery juice, or, and this was like heartbreaking and amazing, or they talked about Ed McMahon's weight loss book. And it's just full of anecdotes about how, about how Johnny Carson was so mean to him. Um, so, which is really sad, uh, that Johnny Carson was really mean to him. Um, Aubrey's last name is Gordon. So Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs are the hosts and it is quite hilarious but every time I see a new one come in, I'm like, oh, I'm going to save it because I love them. And then I can't do it. I binge them like a child with candy, frankly. So. I hope people are doing that to our podcast. Hello out there. I- I'm sure if you this are. this is your first time. Yeah. And you're going back. We welcome you. And then we'll do a summer hiatus as we often do. And then you'll have time to go back and catch up. Correct. Our summer hiatus is happening soon. FYI. But if you're new, recommendations, check the Michelle Obama episode. That's one of my favorites. I like an Ellen Pompeo. That's an episode I really, I go back to. Yeah. Yeah. And we did a JLo episode, which I think um, is quite prescient on your part because we did that JLo episode, you know, during Hustlers, well before the reason why JLo is in the news right now. And I borrow a lot of your points that you said um, on that episode, particularly about how nothing sticks to her. Mm-mm. But since <laughs> you bring it up, uh, what is your thought on uh, today? We are recording on Tuesday. And the story of Benefer 2 today is that he is wearing the watch that she gave him like 13 mm-hmm. or 18 years ago or whatever. So. Right. Here's my quiz to you and to the the audience. Um, Okay. Option A, do you think he hung on to that watch all these years and has always had it and pulled it back out to find it? Or option B, do you think that one or many of his assistants who are probably supposed to be working on like, I don't know, script development for his company or whatever, (laughs) had to spend three days in like a storage facility in Reseda to sort through and find this watch that he stored away many years ago, which even so he still knew that he had it. Discuss. I think it's option A. Really? Because the narrative that I'm building in my mind, because this is a story that nobody is mad at. We all enjoy for the nostalgia. I mean, you know, when we're kicking it, you're thinking way back. You were a reporter on or a, a producer on an entertainment show. All those stories that, you know, we were paying attention to. It is nostalgia. Nobody is mad at this. But so the narrative I'm creating in my mind is that like whatever the box looks like for regular people, it's a box that you shove under your bed in the back of your closet of trinkets, movie ticket stubs whatever that help you remember a certain relationship. You mean like rem- a relationship lot of us- memorabilia? Yes. Uh-huh. Ben Affleck clearly has that box. The box might be a vault. It might be, as you said, a storage facility somewhere. 
I don't know what it is, but he clearly has a J-Lo box. He went into the J-Lo box and he got the watch. You're telling me that he knew for, for 16, 21, how many years has it been? He was like, I know where to find that one watch that I was given and yanked it 100%. out. 100%. I, yeah. I, I'm not going to argue with I you. think that... I think that <laughs> that's that is the gossip narrative I am writing. I do think I do think that like there I don't think there was any closure with those two. I mean, okay, like the world is watching. So in conclusion, uh, uh podcasts be nice to your co-hosts, maintenance phase, uh and um Ben Go back and check a, out our JLo episode. Go to the JLo episode and you think <laughs> Ben Affleck is a hopeless, torch-bearing romantic, even after all this time. Correct. All right. Correct. What are we talking about? I don't think he got over... (laughs) I don't think he got over J-Lo. All right. Let's get to today's episode. We are talking about Catherine Hahn. Yeah. Um, You sent me a Vanity Fair article that uh, is a great article that has kind of a... Not exactly a premise for the article, but it has like a thesis sentence. Uh, that basically says there are two kinds of people. Those who loved Catherine Hahn in WandaVision and those who are snobby and are like, I've known Catherine Hahn for a long time. And by known, we mean are a fan of and have watched stuff. Uh, and, you know, kind of reconciling those two. Correct. So, I mean, I would say, I, I would say, I think we would certainly both put ourselves uh, squarely in this second category uh, where Catherine Hahn is concerned. Like, yeah, we've known about Catherine Hahn. We have been aware and been fans of Catherine Hahn. Yes? I wouldn't give myself that much credit. No? Okay. I have been, I've been aware of Catherine Hahn 100%. Okay. Like, known her name been able to name the movies that she's in, which are like listed in this Vanity Fair article. Would I say that I was like Catherine Hahn Stan? And uh, uh, could I I swag around being like, hey, welcome to the party that I've been at for 15 years. Ha ha. No. Uh, Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend that I knew her like backstory and whatever she might have turned up on as a teenager, because that is not a thing. And did not occur. Uh, I would say that she is one of those people that, you know, you've been aware of for a long time. I have made a whole career out of now going back to people I knew in the mid 2000s and going, oh, you weren't funny. You were just doing an Anchorman impression Um, because I had not seen it at the time. But the thing with Katherine Hahn is that a lot of the stuff she was in is great, but just kind of wasn't that promoted sometimes, right? She's been in a lot of stuff, and I think been great in a lot of stuff, that not a lot of people saw. Um, An example that I will call myself out for uh, is Mrs. Fletcher. Did you watch Mrs. Fletcher? No, and I I watched the first episode Uh uh, because um, we interviewed her, and also because I read the book. So I actually have read the book and I was like, oh, they're making it into a series. And because like I typically do that. Um, and then I don't know how it fell off. Yeah. I think part of it is that we watch things. There are things that I have watched 
not because I really want to watch them as much as because I really want to be in the kind of cultural conversation that's going on. And so if there are things that don't get picked up in that conversation, then it seems like, well, should I be watching this thing or should I be watching mm-hmm. Mayor of Easttown like everybody else? Um, which I don't regret my time with Mayor of Easttown. Don't come and yell at me. But, you know, there are the, the things that fall by the wayside. Um, so that was a thing with Mrs. Fletcher. I know this much is true. Similar idea. Also read the book um, and, uh, you know, thought that's going to be depressing and excellent uh, because I know what the story is. And haven't seen her in it. So, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not pretending I've been here since she was in grade three. I have not. But it is kind of funny when these things happen, when people suddenly explode, quote unquote, and they have been here literally for decades. Um, and even if you love Catherine Hahn and WandaVision, you probably, like, missed Central Park. Or I know this much is true, just happened last year. Or, you know, she was on Transparent for five years. And I know kind of everybody stopped watching Transparent after season two, but has been here. So I guess my first question to you is, is there a different sort of, what is, what is your, how would you summarize the person who suddenly becomes known, even though they've been there all along? Well, I guess I'll answer it by probably my favorite part in the Vanity Fair article, which is when they say that it's written that Catherine Hahn is a think person. I screamed during that part because um, you do this to me all the time. You, you're When you're writing your uh, like Bibles or you're screening writing things and you're crafting stories and you're you know doing your characters and you're imagining who could play them, you're always like either texting me or calling me and you're like, hey, I need, you know, who is this person in Hollywood that is X, Y, Z, think X, but not. And so it's, it's lingo. It's lingo in the industry. And I love that they wrote that in. Like it's quite an inside baseball, like little, little piece in there in terms of like Vanity Fair reaching a broad audience, but also like getting real granular in terms of how, Hollywood types conversate. I mean, yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's, and the idea, like, since we're bringing it up, because I actually have to confess, I didn't, I'm not sure if I think that the, uh, that the piece fully kind of explained that term. Um, and most often, at least in Canada, most often we use it for music, uh, meaning uh, a, a fast, Haste, uh, angry rock beat happens as the character jumps out their window and runs down the street. Think, I want to be sedated. But the reason you say think so-and-so or think such-and-such is to give them the vibe, but it's also a tacit admission that we all know we're not going to get I want to be sedated uh, because it's expensive. Um, So the curiosity to me with think Catherine Hahn is, why think it? You could just go and get her, you know, but... Anyhow, yes, that idea. Or people will say in a meeting, uh, yeah, so she's kind of quirky but amazing. She's like low-key funny and low-key sexy, but also the girl next door. So like, you know, a Catherine Hahn type, which is a coded way of saying, we really want Catherine Hahn. Can you get Catherine Hahn? But if not, 
who's the closest thing to her. Which is so interesting because indeed everybody wants Catherine Hahn and they're getting Catherine Hahn. I mean, after WandaVision, there have been like so many high profile, so many, but like a pretty high profile casting, Knives Out, like that people were so excited. People already love that movie, right? And so people are quite excited about the sequel. And then to learn that Catherine Hahn is going to be in the sequel, everybody's like, this sequel is going to be amazing. It has Catherine Hahn. She makes everything 10 times more amazing. Um, and that is like, you know, to have that and to always have that been an understanding because of this think Catherine Hahn, but just get like culturally relevant is such an interesting place to play in. But I'm not sure it's quite has it always been. And I just want to warn you, like I'm feeling a bit of cranky coming on um, because, uh, yeah, like her sort of first big credit is how to lose a guy in 10 days, right? Uh, mm-hmm. 2003, uh, followed by Win a Date with Tad Hamilton in 2004, which I think most people conflate those two movies anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And those were uh, 17 and 18 years ago that those movies came out. And yet, I don't think it's like, oh, we all have always wanted Catherine Hahn and got Catherine Hahn. I think she's been working in relative obscurity for a long time, probably until, eh, you know, depending on on your brand, but somewhere in and around This Is Where I Leave You slash Kroll Show slash maybe Parks and Rec was a big mainstream thing. But 17 or 18 years ago, she would have been super primed to have like a big, huge career. Uh, and instead she was kind of an also ran and I feel a little grumpy about it because I'm like, why is it because she was too brown haired too not Angel Angelina looking like really, I feel like what we're getting at here is she feels like kind of the real life version of Lainey Boggs in, in she's all that. <laughs> Like, she's been here all along, but she just sort of took off her glasses and people are like, oh, now we notice you. Well, and I I think that, like, similarly, a name comes up now and again when we talk about people who've occupied a similar space, I think. Like, Judy Greer, you, you, you've you dropped Judy Greer, I, I feel like... I don't know, every six episodes or so. I That's a bit excessive, but yeah, because Judy Greer leaned way into it and they compare those two in this piece, in the Vanity Fair piece. Yeah. Um, but Judy Greer wrote uh, a book called I Don't Know Where You Know Me From. Um, but yeah, because I think people like to, uh, I think people like to go like, oh, we just never knew that you were there, Catherine Hahn. And it's like, I've been here. I'll tell you who I do bring up all the time, and I don't get the credit for this, uh, is Tessa Thompson. Because Tessa Thompson was a, a, mm. a relatively small part in Veronica Mars season two, and nobody cared but me. And lo and behold, now everybody want to be a Tessa Thompson fan. Um, but I do think there is something, let me, let me just lay it out here. I don't know how you wouldn't be bitter or grumpy at least, not bitter, but if you're Catherine Hahn and you've spent 
15, 20 years auditioning for people who are like, thanks, we're just going to go with somebody, I don't know, blonder um, or whatever. And then now suddenly people are gagging for you. I would sort of be healthily skeptical at least. Yeah, I, I, and I, I love you for bringing Petty into this first because typically <laughs> I am Petty Queen. No, I'm big but Petty. But yeah, how, how are you not bitter? And yet, obviously, in this piece, everybody is lining up. I mean, it sounds like all of Hollywood or half of Hollywood lines up to talk about how unpetty she is. How, and I think it also comes down to how she has been able to frame that in her mind where she was like, well, I had kids. And then I was like, well, fuck no, I'm not doing, like she said, I think the word she used was bifurcate my career in, in, in two phases before kids and after kids and post kids. I was like, you know, the work has to be real good, real tight, real meaningful. Well, and I think that is probably the side benefit, right? If she were here, she probably would say as much that if you're on, if you're going to make sure the work that you do is really good, uh, you, you know, there's an expression speaking of like TV and film expressions. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it. There's that thing of fast, cheap, and good. Pick two. You can have it mm-hmm. cheap and good, but it's going to take forever. You can have it yeah. fast and cheap, but you know, don't hang out for it, right? So she's choosing very carefully. But the the side benefit of that is when not necessarily tons of people are watching, then you can really try stuff. You can really take some swings uh, and figure out what is going to be your move here and what's going to be your move, you know, in, in various pieces. There's a story in the, uh, there's a story in the piece when, uh, her director in, uh, help me out, which, uh, which project was it, uh, where, you know, she just suddenly decided, Hey, Catherine, wouldn't it be funny if your pants were off in this scene? Yes. If you're bottomless. And, uh, you know, which she would be entirely justified in going, you know what, let me call my agent or let's see what this is going to look like, which, and I encourage people to do that. That's what you're supposed to do because not everybody is going to be necessarily the type of director uh, that, that this is where you feel trusted. But apparently uh, she was like, yeah, you know what, sure. And kind of like ripped off her jeans in the middle of the set and they rolled the tape. So it, it also means that you can take risks that you might not otherwise. And uh, yeah. And I wonder if like, listen, in her personal life or in her mind, in, in her mind, whatever you need to do to like have that outlook, right. To get past the bitterness and the petty, if it even was there, because you know, the way that people describe her is that she is just all like heart and sunshine and soul Um, so she may not have been the dicks that we are in terms of that pettiness, but at the same time, there is some, there's some sort of alchemy happening here too, in that as, you know, as touched on in the piece, back when Kate Hudson was the lead Mm -hmm. and she was in the supporting role, the only leads available for anyone anyway was in those kinds of movies. Whereas we've seen like in the last 15 years, storytelling has exploded in such a different way in particular in terms of like how we're telling stories, where the better stories are. 
in television a lot of the time um, and how long they can be and who can be featured. Certainly, certainly more room um, to grow is, is definitely uh, like there. But there is, there is a, there's also being wrong or right and no one noticing and then right at the right time. Yeah, for sure. And and I think that is probably entirely accurate. Like, just, like, let them find out. I don't agree that she's probably not as petty as us. I agree with you that this article <laughs> is full of everybody talking about how wonderful she is. But it's usually that they're talking about, I think she's just kind of fantastically talented and funny and easy and, you know, makes people comfortable which is not the same thing as the stories that always kind of make your teeth itch about, you know, the people who come to set every day with a basket of muffins and they're the sweetest and everybody loves them. And they, you know, they get bejeweled collars for the one makeup artist dog or whatever. And I'm like, mm, that's not the same thing. Um, I feel like people like her or talk about liking her because she's good and probably like nice and like people like you know, similarly talented people, but not because she's just, just a Hollywood sweetheart. You know, like there's, there's, we're not, it, it's not Reese Witherspoon vibes up in here. No, I, I mean, Paul Rudd was a little bit like a lot of what he was saying was like, you know, she lights up a room. There's, there was all that kind. Yeah. But you know, it's so funny. I really read that all as acting talent. She lights up a room with acting talent, with energy. That is 100% how I read that. Isn't that so interesting? I didn't read that. Yeah, I I read it I read it differently. I read it as he complimented definitely her craft and like what she was doing and when he was like I watched every episode of WandaVision, but I did also read it as like she's, you know, in a frenzy kind of way. She's the one who, you know, brings the things and whatever. Um instead of us uh talking around a quote third hand. Here's uh, what it says here. Uh, Rudd, meanwhile, says that Han reminds him of his friend Olivia Coleman. interesting, in that, quote, the temperature of the air changes when she's in the room to a much more comfortable 72 degrees and sunny. Catherine is such a bright light. Whatever it is you're doing, she's kind of the MVP. That's the end of the quote. I mean, you know what? It's very interpretable um, either mm -hmm. way, but I... I 100% read it uh, talent-wise or, like, crazy risky actor-wise. So that's that's amazing. I really also like the intersection of Olivia Coleman and um, Catherine Hahn because, as we have seen from, like, social me media videos that come out and, and the, whenever Olivia Coleman accepts an award, like, she is that... She is that kind of person who says anything that comes to her mind. She's a little bit offbeat. yes. Um, but before Paul Rudd, you know, brought us to it, I, I don't know that I would have put them in the same sentence. No, but I like that comparison. I buy that. And, yeah, me too. Um, you know, and it's very, uh, it's more fun to be Olivia Coleman or Catherine Hahn, no matter what that means for, you oh, know, yeah. in the last 10, 15 years than it is to be, I don't know, whoever, whoever was the hot, like, where's Rachel Lee Cook now? I'm just kidding. I don't. I'm Did not, you see? I'm not trying to malign <laughs> Rachel Lee Cook. I'm sure she's fine, but you know what I mean. No, but did, yeah, like, did you see that video of like Olivia Coleman leading like a Zumba dance class or some sort of 
like dance routine that she had learned with her friends on the set of The Crown. And Gillian Anderson was getting, like she got Gillian Anderson to do it. Like, I mean, when uh, my mind goes there because, you know, if I hadn't seen that video, I wouldn't really have understood what Paul Rudd was talking about. And then I'm like, yeah, I see that in Catherine Hahn as well. Um, so, and frankly, Olivia Coleman, I mean, I know she's an Oscar winner now, but she wasn't a household name until, what, three years ago, right? But this was someone who was very, very well-respected in the industry um, and came to whatever this is later. If you want to feel smug, I, I just to give you a heads up, my co-host, uh, that uh, this is, I'm, I'm going to sort of edge towards a smug off uh, in general. But if you want to be smug about Olivia Coleman. Uh, there is a British series called 2012, written out in words, uh, which is like a dry mockumentary-esque story about putting on the London Olympics. Uh, it's her and Hugh Bonneville, and it is cringy and dry and amazing. And I strongly encourage everybody to watch it. Uh, and it's a uh, corresponding sister series, W1A, which takes place inside the BBC. Uh, she doesn't turn up in that one. But there's no better way to be like, I knew Olivia Coleman before Olivia Coleman than with 2012. Uh, and I would argue that probably the corresponding Catherine Hahn property is, uh, I, I don't know for sure, to be honest, what is the, the original like I knew before. I think a lot of people might say Happy-ish, that series. Um, so, or Kroll Show. I will also accept Kroll Show as a, as a submission. But in a bigger sense, so in, yeah, go ahead. So in the in terms of the what next work, show your work of Catherine Hahn, which she clearly has been doing and now is, you know, I think in the in the piece they called it the Hanessance, you know, <sighs> yeah. in Vanity Fair. <laughs> um, like fast forward three years, what 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 are what conversations are we having having about Catherine Hahn? I think it will be about how the thing that she wrote and directed for herself to star in is so incisive mm -hmm. and amazing and whatever. Uh, the piece mm -hmm. talks about how uh, she's writing something about uh, schizophrenia and menopause, which let me just tell you what a hard sell that would be to walk into a Hollywood studio and say, this is what <laughs> yeah. my, my show is going to be, my limited series. But we know she can do it. You're already laughing at the idea of what that could be. Um, and so I suspect that will be the conversation of like, oh, my God, we thought she can do it any, any bigger after whatever that thing was that we are now talking about that was in 2021's future. But then she does it again. I think we will be quite, quite delighted on that front. I have to say, and right now, like, never mind three years from now, what I'm delighted about is that she's going for it in the sense of, you know, yes, publicist, manager, get me in Vanity Fair, get me on Saturday Night Live, you know, because you know it can go the other way too, right? Where they're like, oh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to thirst for it. Like, no, no, she's going for it. This is a, like, you know, when you recognize you're in a moment, well, that's a, make the moment longer. That's a really excellent point that, uh, yeah, she's been kind of a, a 
an under the radar or an indie cool cred performer, but we're talking about this because she's in Vanity Fair, meaning she's going ahead and being like, yeah, level me up. Yeah. That's an and, excellent And point. I think that that's something, that is something because on the one hand in Hollywood, we've seen the false modesty or whatever, but on the other, you know, applicable to all professions and women, when you find yourself in that glow, in that shine, there's, it, what kicks in is like, oh, well, should I step into it? Should I spread my arms in it? Should I revel in it? Should I actually seize it? And, and you know, I love that she's doing all of that and, and, and not like as fearlessly as she does everything else as, as, you know, is laid out in this piece. Well, and I guess the, the sort of comeback to that would be at this point in her life and her career, why the fuck not? Right? Like mm -hmm. now, yeah. Yeah. Now is the time. Now is the time. Catherine Hahn. Now is the time. Be Catherine Hahn. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So this is a story. I pitched you, Catherine Hahn. You pitched me our next story. And I didn't know before you pitched it to me that it would be related, so related. No, we didn't these plan to put these together. Right? Yeah. And yet... And yet, that's where the conversation has led us. And let me tell you something. I also didn't know before I read the piece, and I had to, like, learn in the piece and then gradually come to it. Um, one of the things I didn't know is that Renee Elise Goldsberry is the age that she is. <laughs> no fucking idea. Like, and this is, I mean, and it's, a, it's lightly referenced in this New York Times profile. Um, I think her face is referred to as, like, cherub. Yeah. Um, well, I, I actually, I love that you sort of started there because this is, uh, obviously it's a New York times piece, uh, about, uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry and it's pegged to the release of Girls 5 Eva, um, which is the Tina Fey, uh, sitcom, which we'll get to in a second. But what's interesting, uh, about this is that it's actually written by one of the New York times theater writers, as opposed to a TV writer. Uh, and I only know that because I met her years ago, so we follow each other on Twitter. And she, this is what she tweeted uh, about that very topic. Uh, and uh, she, you know, she tweeted her piece as all writers do, right? And then she wrote, uh, the superb Renee Elise Goldsberry, who also told me, quote, I would 100% be lying to you that I was 35 years old right now if the fucking internet did not tell every motherfucker my age. Which, and you would believe her. Absolutely. So, uh, Renee Elise Goldberry is 50, uh, per this piece. 50! She's, she's 50. Uh, uh, it's, yeah. I mean, when I, when I was watching Hamilton last summer, yeah. um, 
because the original cast, because neither one of us got to see the original cast, I don't believe, right? No, not the, not all okay. of the original cast. Right. I'm thinking to myself, oh, 30. Right. Right. Right? Anyway. Sure. Um, so. So. So in the previous conversation, we we're talking about Catherine Hahn mm-hmm. coming to success, mm-hmm. you know, not during ingenue age frame or time frame or whatever. Renee Lee Goldsbury, a lot of the focus of this piece too is, you know, the before and the after. Yeah, except the difference is, remember when you were like, oh, we are maybe pettier than uh, Catherine Hahn <laughs> is? Uh, Renee Elise yeah. Goldsberry is right there with us, which is amazing. Um, yes. The best part of this piece uh, is just how overtly she's kind of like, I was here. I did a million like false start kind of runs before the thing that ultimately hit, which is Hamilton, which let's not forget was the longest shot going, right? Like this woman worked a lot Mm -hmm. in TV. She was in a girl band of her own. She had all this other stuff to do what was such a crazy long shot at the public theater for the longest time uh, must have seemed like of all the things, like it was just a job. It was a work a day job. And then at 44, mm-hmm. which, you know, back in the day, remember, actresses died in their 40s, <laughs> their careers. Right. At 44, Hamilton, Angelica, Renee, and it's been like a seven-year run. Yeah. Um, I think because it was so exciting to be like, and this is the other side of it right? This is when you are somebody who gains prominence for doing great work at 44 or 39 or 52 or whatever, you're fully formed. Like people are like, oh Mm -hmm. my God, Renee Elise Goldsberry, she's so spectacular. She has everything. And it's like, yeah, because she spent all that time getting everything, stacking up the skills and the, you know, the persona and the security in yourself for all that time. And we place so much emphasis. Don't lie. We all do this. Every industry, every whatever releases the 30 under 30, the 40 under 40. And it almost inevitably either the promise is more than the prize or the pressure of being a wonderkind is too much. And, you know, this is so crazy and novel, but Sometimes if you just find people who are good at what they do, it's because they've been doing it for a real long time. (laughs) I mean, you know, we talk about that um, you're already fully formed. We use that a lot. I do. And I know we've talked about it on the show um, in terms of George Clooney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's the- the, Only hit it in his, deep in his 30s with ER. And he says it himself, he had the time to- as you said, pick up the skills, but also fuck up, right? So that when he came to the, oh, hey, I'm here, I've been here moment where everybody figures it out and realizes there's, there's, everybody is like, oh yeah, you, you're awesome. And he can be like, yeah, me, I'm here. What do you need? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that without having to worry about all this and the, and the other. I don't know if we get to talk about that where women are concerned. 
You know, we've got a George Clooney in that example. I think Brian Cranston sometimes comes up in that conversation too. You know, I know that he was in Malcolm in the Middle, mm -hmm. but, you know, in terms of his gigantic success, it was, uh, it was, um, Breaking Bad. Uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. Um, and so I, 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 I don't feel like we say it enough where, and now we've just had three examples, at least on this episode, Olivia Coleman, Catherine Hahn, Renee Elise Goldsberry. But you know what the difference is, is that it feels remarkable still to talk about Catherine Hahn or Olivia Coleman or Renee Elise Goldsberry because um, it is assumed that it can happen at any time for men, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for oh, I don't know, uh, Anthony Minghella maybe or for, like, you can, it can happen at any time. There's such an understanding, historically speaking, that you cannot break in as a middle-aged woman, that you have right. to have, uh, you know, you either break in at 21 or you don't, you know? And then when there are uh, people like uh, Yunya Jun in Minari, uh, we go, oh my God, wow, how spectacular, we never knew. But the fact is, with all of these women, with Goldsberry, with Han, with Yunya Jun, it's that they made a decision years ago not to wait around. They've decided to have a life and be a working actor, um, you mm -hmm. know, who is not a star. You're just like, I'm just going to be somebody who is a working actor, who does guest spots, who shows up for things, who, you know, makes a, a middle-class living at this thing and whose name people will never know. And there are thousands upon thousands of them. And they're almost all with, you know, this level of skill if you've stuck around in the business this long, right? Um, but they're not really, historically until now, it wasn't like you could suddenly break out in a role yeah. when you're 44 and be like, oh yeah. my God, look at me, you know? I mean, God, I'm sure we could call up Margot Martindale and she would be like, I've been here. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it was a little bit, you, you bring in Margot Martindale. Um, uh, then my next would be Anne Dowd. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Same exact idea. Absolutely. Where there's this sudden renaissance. God, Jean Smart. Can we yes. talk about Jean Smart? Like, you know, and it's a slightly different scenario because she did a show for, you know, four years. And then we, I don't know what Jean Smart's life was like post-designing women, but I don't think the phone was ringing off the hook per se. No, and not in this way where like after Watchmen, it was like Jean Smart and like that cool culture factor. You know after what I mean? After Watchmen, that after Fargo, and then Watchmen, and then Mayor of yeah. Easttown. And I don't even know what else she has going on, but like where, oh, and Hacks, which I haven't bullied you into watching yet, which I love. Everybody, please You've watch You've started. Hacks. Yes, I do have the text. Please watch Hacks. Um, but they're big, huge marquee roles that are not just like nobody else could, could play it but Gene Smart, but where it's like, we actually, this show can't run without Gene Smart, you know? Yeah. Um, we're beginning to get there, but I think that's why the difference. I think that's why we talk about Clooney 
and Brian Cranston and whomever else in a real casual way, like, oh yeah, it could have happened at any time. And the other implication being if George Clooney had not gotten ER, that it would have been something else that would have, you know, made him just as famous. He would have landed in Alan McBeal or it would have been One Fine Day or whatever it was, you know. But we don't, we haven't allowed this path for women in the past. So women are just like, whatever, I'm just going to be an actor. Like, I'll be over here making my, you know, scale plus 10%. And then you're like, oh my God, they're secretly amazing. And then you get a show where you get to play someone who's reforming a girl band from the 90s, but at the age they are now, which is like layers of layers upon meta because, you know, once upon a time in the time when if people were looking and noticing and widening their lens, could there have been a show about an actual girl band from that era? Like there's, it's just so interesting to me, like all the, the ways that timing works and doesn't work. Yeah. In addition to which, you know, and she nods to it in this article, it's not like there were so many roles for a black woman of her age, even somebody who doesn't look her age, you know, that there, there aren't a million roles, especially not roles that were just wife or whatever. Like, let's be real. Even all those roles of Catherine Hans we listed, they were not being offered to Renee Elise Goldsberry before Mm -mm. two years ago, you know? No. Um, I do like, I really enjoyed the one other element of this piece. Um, she's kind of talking about what we're talking about. Uh, and so the quote begins, uh, she appreciates the cosmic comedy of mid-career triumph. So that right there is nice framing, right? Like uh, shout out yeah. to, uh, to Alexis Sikorsky who wrote this piece, but you know, yeah, mid-career triumph is like, ha fooled you. You thought it was going to be one thing and it's another, but then she talks about how She used to have this strict no nudity clause in her contract, (laughs) um, but has since relaxed it because, quote, I can't believe somebody still wants to see some side boob. And I mean, it's a funny joke, but I also just love that because there's so much in that, right? Like, yes, if somebody is going to sexualize somebody of her age, that's a different story than the sexualization and exploitation, which usually goes the other way of somebody who is too young, right? Mm -hmm. Also, if you are mid-career, then you know enough to take care of yourself in those situations. You know how it's going to be. You know what you're going to be okay at saying yes and no to. Um, And I just, I love that example because it just seemed like that's the other gift of of mid-career or, you know, being established is like, you know what you're going to, you know what everything's going to involve and what you're going to be okay with and not. Yeah. And it is still interconnected. It does, you know, it, it, it does the work on the other side. If there's, if there's objectification of women 50 plus. Yeah. Like (laughs) the work it's doing is, is attacking this, um, fetishization of, women and girls, right? You know what I mean? Not just that. Yes, I agree with you. Absolutely. It's attacking the fetishization of women and girls. It's also sexualizing women above the age of 35, implying that they still have sex lives and interior lives and that there are 
you know, there's areas of sexy drama and nuance that are still to be explored in, in their lives, which we That's still right. don't see enough of. So, yes. Are we saying that uh, hopefully will Renee will be cast in a project where side boob will be revealed? I assume that it came up because she is. I assume that it's a specific <laughs> reference to something uh, and that she is inviting us to enjoy it in that way. Yeah. I mean, as you said, it was a joke, but there's a lot of work happening there. There's a lot of, there are a lot of layers as to what this is. This isn't just meant to be like titillation. Ha ha. No. Um, and I think she's being earnest that she's changed the clause in her more contract, of that, you know, but yeah, because it, for sure it goes to a different place than a, you know, than a relaxed nudity clause goes when you are 22. For sure. All right. So in closing, um, it's, it's looking good to be, uh, in your late forties or so these days. How, how, how did we get here? Um, cause people how, how, how can we deliver that? How do, how can we deliver that with like, I mean, I don't use, use emojis, but what's the verbal, what's the verbal equivalent of an emoji where we just said, we like, can you just repeat the sentence that you just said? Uh, it's looking good for it's, women it's, in their late forties. No, I said it's looking really good to be a woman in your late forties and beyond. Yeah. Literally I, looking good. Like it's, it's now being represented as being great and delicious as, and wonderful for the first time since we can remember kind of. I, how can we top that? <laughs> we top it with the uh, obligatory mention of the Golden Girls, and then we call it a night. <laughs> all right, obligatory. All right, obligatory mention of the Golden Girls, and that is a high we should always end on. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you want to be in the Show Your Work Smug Olympics. Uh, please tell us who you were the first person to spot or who you are keeping your eye on that we are all sleeping on and we're going to regret it later. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please continue to leave comments and reviews. Email us. Reach us on Instagram. Reach us on Twitter. All of it. We love it. Um, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.